If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be um, in a pretty familiar passage, um, verses 25 through 37. We're in a series called Living on Mission. Um, I, I love this series because it's a reminder that you and I um, ha have been given a calling from God to live on mission for Him, to live on mission to go and share the gospel, to live on mission to go and make disciples, that God has a purpose and a calling and a mission for each and every one of us. God has a calling and a mission for your family. Um, and it is to go and make disciples by sharing the gospel. And so this series is all about that. And today, I want to entitle today's sermon, The Heart of Living on Mission. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you that you've given us a mission. You've given us a purpose. You've given us um, something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, you have given us the good news of the gospel, that we are saved by the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and that you have called us to go and share that news with the world and to um, be a light to the world to help them see that there is nothing better than your promises, and living for you. Lord, as we talk about the heart of living on mission, would you speak to our hearts and uh, allow this message to um, help us live on mission for you and your name better. Pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to start with a question. Think about it. Maybe try and come up with an answer. Here's the question. What is the most essential, what is most essential when it comes to living on mission for Jesus? If you were to say the most essential thing about living on mission for Jesus, what would you say it is? That's what this passage we're about ready to look at is about. It's um, what this message is about. It's the reason why I entitled this message The Heart of Living on Mission because I want to talk to you about the heart, the most essential part about living on mission um, for what God has called us to do, to go and share the gospel, to go and make disciples. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Let's read this passage and learn about the most essential thing there is to do when it comes to living on mission. It says this, this is verse 25 of chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test. Now, he's making a mistake. Never want to put Jesus to the test here. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? That's the Old Testament law. So he is a lawyer according to the Old Testament law. The man who is asking this question, he is a lawyer. He knows the Old Testament law up and down. He knows it word for word. He would have had the whole entire first five books of the Bible memorized. That's incredible. This guy, this lawyer. And so Jesus, I love what Jesus does. Jesus just says, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think you must do to inherit eternal life? How, how do you read it? And the man answers, and he said, well, you shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, that is your feelings, your emotions, with all your soul, that's um, your consciousness, um, with all your strength, so that's, that's, your, that's your might, that's your drive, that's your will, and you are to love them with your mind, that's your thought life. And, this is an important word, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me just make a quick note about this word love. The Greek here, the word is agape, um, but more importantly, the grammatical tense of this word love is not a one-time love, um, not a past tense love, but a present ongoing activity of loving. So, so it's literally saying, you shall love the Lord your God always, forever, to perfection, total devotion. <laughs> and he says, this is, this is what you must do. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Ding, ding. Do this and you will live. Now, I need to make two really quick notes of clarification before we move on um, about what just transpired here um, that you might be thinking about or wondering. The first one is this. Um, Jesus says, you got, you got the correct answer. You want eternal life? Love the Lord your God, follow your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus says you have answered correctly, go and do likewise and you will live, is Jesus therefore saying that the way that we inherit eternal life, the way that we go to heaven is by just loving God enough and loving your neighbor enough and 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 it's about how you love God and how you love others. And that's, that's just what it takes to get to heaven. You got to work your way there. Um, and the answer is no. Jesus is not saying that. In, in fact, what Jesus is doing is he is going to expose um, this lawyer's inability to do just that. In fact, he's going to expose all of us in our inability um, of doing that ourselves. Um, one of the commentaries I read just put it this way. Jesus's approval of the answer is because at its heart, the answer is an expression of total allegiance and devotion to God and a relationship with God. So in a sense, to inherit eternal life, we do need this. We need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But listen, what Jesus actually just pointed out like three verses before this is the only way that we are able to love God like this is through Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing is, is, he is exposing the man's inability, our inability to love God perfectly and to love others perfectly and opening up our eyes that we need Jesus to be in relationship with God the Father. We need Jesus to forgive us of our sins so that we can then stand in relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, the second thing that needs to be noted, and this is so, so important, when Jesus says, you've answered correctly, Jesus is saying that to love your neighbor 
is on par with loving God. Or to state it differently, um, you cannot say that you love God if you do not love your neighbor. You cannot say and you cannot be devoted to God if you do not love your neighbor. They go together. They cannot be separated. And Jesus is commending that here, and Jesus will commend that in other places too. You can't say and you can't be devoted to God if you do not love your neighbor. Let's just sink into the significance of this. Let's just sink in um, to how important it is for you and I to not just love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love our neighbor as ourself. How important is it? Let's just look at a few verses. This is 1 John 3, 17. John says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And the answer is, it doesn't. If you don't love your brother and actively with what you have, love your brother, you can't say that you love God. God's love's not in them. How about this one? This is a famous passage. This is 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul says this. <clears throat> this is verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Pay, pay attention to Paul's words here and what he's saying, because it's incredible. And he says, and if I have prophetic powers, like I am a prophet and I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, I'm like, the, I've got bigger faith than anybody and everybody, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, just sell everything and give it to the poor and give it to the needy. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, like even lay myself down as a sacrifice, but have not love, I gain nothing. You can have more faith in the world than everybody. If you don't have love, you've got, you've got nothing. You can be a prophet. You can have all knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And you see this, unfortunately, in seminaries where you have people who know more about the Bible than anyone you've ever met in your life. But they don't love. Paul says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. One last verse, but I could go on and on and on. By this, this is Jesus' words, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You cannot say that you love God if you don't love others.
Jesus says, the way that people will know that you are a disciple of Jesus is not by the t-shirt that you wear or by the fact that you attend church or because you read your Bible or because you stand on a curb and talk about Jesus. The way, the way, the way in which people will see that you are a disciple of Jesus is by the way that you love. Let me ask you a question. Do people know that you love and follow Jesus simply by the way that you love? He's saying something about the way that Christians ought to love. Namely, he's saying that it should be so distinct it should be so different from what the world is used to. It should be so radical that when people see it, they will instantly go, you must be a Christian. You, you, you have to be. Nobody loves like they love. It has to be. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you known by the way that you love? This is the most essential thing we do when it comes to living on mission for God, living on the mission of making disciples. You cannot make disciples. You cannot live the purpose God has called you to live if you don't love. You can't. We are called to love. This is compelling to me. Um, let me just give you a few quotes. Uh, this was written by um, Julius, uh, who was um, an emperor, a Roman emperor. Uh, and I believe that this was in the fourth century. And he is writing to someone regretting the progress of Christians and more so regretting the fact that 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 they stand out above everybody and that they aren't worshiping the Roman gods. And so this is, this is his complaint to someone he writes to about the Christians and about how they're not worshiping all the Roman gods. Listen to what he says. This is a Roman emperor. He says, atheism, which by the way is his way of referring to the Christian faith. Christians in the first several centuries were referred to atheists because they wouldn't worship a multiplicity of gods. They only believed in one God, and so they were called atheists. And so listen, he says, atheists, that's the, that's the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar because the Christians were taking care of them and that the godless Galileans, <laughs> that was his way of referring to the Christians, that was, that was their nickname, the godless Galileans, that is the Christians, they care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is the Roman emperor's complaint against Christians. He's angry and he's frustrated because of the way that they are loving people and they're loving them so well that everybody is looking on wondering 
wow, I wish people loved me like that. Or how about this one? This one might hit closer to home. Um, this right here, uh, this happened um, in the first few centuries. And what happened is there was a, a plague that broke out, um, a pandemic of sorts. It was smallpox. It was believed that at its height, 5,000 people were dying every single day in Rome, which is a massive, when you consider the population, 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome at the peak of this. Um, one, uh, a firsthand account um, of the Christian community um, described how the Christian community heroically transformed into becoming really the first-line healthcare workers. Listen to what the first-hand account says about Christians. Heedless of danger, they, that is Christians, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happily. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. This was the description of Christians in the midst of a plague. Just caring for those in need, loving them, even though it may cost them getting the disease themselves. Um, it, it, this is a statistic that was given. It says it was estimated that 30% of the population died during this plague of smallpox. But where there was a strong Christian presence, only 10% died. This is the way people ought to see Christians. This is the vision Jesus gave us. The most essential thing about you and I living on mission is this, to love, to love, to love, to love. But what does this love look like? What does this love even look like? And Jesus paints that picture. We're going to look at this passage. It's familiar. Um, and, and so we'll move through it quite quickly. Um, but he gives us a picture. L listen to what happens next in this story. Back to Luke chapter 10. It says, but he, that is the lawyer, describing, um, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but, but who really counts as my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus just breaks into story. He's telling a parable. He says, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was actually a real road. It was a very busy road. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So he's naked. He's half dead. The idea he's in critical condition. And it says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. It says, now by chance, literally in the Greek, the idea is this, as luck would have it, a priest was walking by. This, this, is, this is a guy who works in the temple. Yay, a priest. He'll do something. He'll stop. He'll care. He was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This walks by. He obviously sees him. He kind of moves across the road. 
So a man who works in the temple doesn't do anything. He, a man who loves God with all of his heart doesn't love his neighbor. So likewise, a Levite. Now, a Levite was like an assistant to the priest. A Levite worked in the temple. So this is, you know, this is like the next holy guy on the list, if you will. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Just walked by. Um, th there's been a lot written about why didn't the priest stop? Why didn't the Levites stop? It, well, they, maybe they didn't stop because um, they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean. So, so maybe the priest and the Levite were actually heading towards the, the, the direction of Jerusalem. And they didn't, if they, if they stopped and they touched this man and he was actually dead, it meant that they would become unclean. And so they couldn't work in the temple. And so they just, they had some holy work to do. And so, um, you know, they, they moved on. That's because that's what happened. They didn't want to become unclean. Some have said, well, maybe they were fearful that other robbers were nearby. And so they were kind of moving by. The reality is Jesus doesn't tell us. And also, this is not a historical account. This is a parable that Jesus gives. It's not a real story. The point is this. They see a man in need and they walk by. Have you ever done that? You see a need. You're able to meet it, but for some reason or another, you don't meet the need. That's what the priest does. That's what the Levite does. Um, let's keep reading. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, now stop here. He says Samaritan. We don't understand the weight of this. Um, Samaritans and Jews were, they were arch enemies of sorts. For Jesus to bring a Samaritan into this story would have been a shock and an awe. Everybody would have been, what? I mean, this is, um, this, uh, this was unbelievable. We don't have a category for this. Um, I heard one pastor say this, and I don't think it's a stretch. It would be like us saying a Taliban member walked by. Jews were not allowed to eat with Samaritans because they were so horrible. And there was a tremendous amount of prejudice, what, which should lead you and I to ask the question, why does Jesus bring the Samaritan into the story? And not just that, he makes the Samaritan the hero. Why does Jesus do this? Maybe it's because he's confronting the prejudice, the racial, the racial. This was an issue of, of race for them and racism. Maybe Jesus is confronting the racism that, that Jews were walking in against Samaritans. I think that's certainly true, yes. I think and also another reason is Jesus, he's not trying to tell a story about how to love your family member or how to love your friend or how to love your coworker. He's talking about how to love someone you've never met in your life or someone that might even be your enemy. So just get that. This isn't about loving your friend or your co-worker or your family. This is about loving a stranger. This is about loving someone you've never met. This is about loving someone you come and walk by. This is about loving someone that you might have prejudice against. 
and he had compassion on him. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three men, so Jesus breaks from the story and looks at the lawyer, Hey, which of these three men do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy. Can't even say the Samaritan. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, I want you to notice something. Um, the question the man asks is, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor, Jesus? And notice, Jesus doesn't answer that question. He doesn't answer, who's the neighbor? He answers the question, what does it look like to be neighborly? He answers the question, what does, it, what does it look like to love your neighbor? Just like real practical, what does it look like to love your neighbor? And if you have a pen and if you have some paper, I want you to take some notes here. There are four ways that I count in this passage that this man loves. And it shows us what it looks like to love your neighbor, to love a stranger. And here they are. Let's just look at them. The first one is this. And as he went, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What does it look like to love your neighbor? Here's where it starts. It looks like you actually having compassion on them. Have you ever done this? You've seen a homeless person. Um, and instead of having compassion, you begin to go... You begin to make up reasons why you, you don't stop or why you shouldn't give money um, or why you shouldn't have a conversation with them. How often do you find yourself actually showing compassion? Did you know of all of the emotions that the scriptures tell us about Jesus. You know, that, like there's a moment where it describes how Jesus is angry, um, he's upset, he's sad. Um, the, the most frequent emotion used of Jesus is what? He had compassion. His, this word compassion, it literally means his, his insides were just like, ugh. You want to know how to love your neighbor. It's got to start with your heart actually caring for them. Let, guys, I know that this is costly. I know that it costs emotional energy, but it would do you very, very well to put yourself in the shoes of another person and just feel for them for a moment. Have compassion. It's the reason why the Levite and the priest don't stop. When they saw him, they walked to the other side. When the Samaritan sees him, he has compassion. To love others well, we must have compassion. Do you have compassion? 
You have compassion for strangers. Go there. Next time you see a need, ask yourself, okay, am I showing compassion there? That's what he does. That's what Jesus does. Well, let's keep reading. There's another thing that um, we see of what it looks like to love your neighbor. It says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So it, the other thing that, what does it look like to love? It looks like you sacrificing your comfort. I don't know about you, but I see that. Like he has to go and he has to bound up his wounds. Um, remember, he's half naked here, not half naked. He's completely naked and half dead. For him to bind up his wounds, it's not like he poured out like a first century first aid kit. They didn't have those. And so to bind up his wounds meant he went to his um, bag and he would have taken maybe uh, one of his robes or one of his head dressings and he would have literally torn it up and he would have gotten down, he would have gotten blood on his hands. He's taking wine and he's taking um, oil that, that was kind of it for medicinal purposes. I mean, this is costing him his comfort. He is getting on his knees. He is getting dirty. He's getting blood on himself. I'm one of those people. I don't like to hear about the bloody scene that you experienced. I'm the person on the movie when it goes to that hospital scene that has to cover my eyes because I don't like blood. This man experiences it all. What does it look like to love your neighbor? It looks like you sacrificing your comfort. I'm not sure you can love your neighbor well if you don't sacrifice your comfort. It's the reason why the priest and the Levite don't stop. They don't stop because it's going to cost them their comfort. And so let's just make this real. It's, it's costly for you. It costs your comfort to take a child into your home. It costs you comfort to have neighbors over for dinner. It costs you comfort to go serve at Vision House. It costs you comfort to love other people. The other thing that it costs him is it costs him time, does it not? What does it look like to love other people? It looks like you sacrifice your time. It says, the next day he took out two denarii. So, so he, he literally stays the night with this man. He takes basically a full 24 hours to care for this man. I think one of the biggest barriers that keeps us from loving people is our calendar. Some of us literally have no margin in our life to love other people. I'd love to have other people for, over for dinner. I just, I just don't have time for that. I'd love to go serve at Vision House. I just don't have time for that. I, here's, here's the reason why foster care is so compelling for our family. It's not something that I just kind of go do on a Wednesday night. It is a part of our life. What ways can you serve that simply just become part of your life. You make it part of your life calendar. And some of you, you need to go through your calendar. And COVID-19 has done it for you. 
It has crossed out sporting events. It's crossed out other activities. Please use this extra time you have to slow your life down and give that time to love other people well. Can't love people if you don't make time for it. Um, here's the last thing. He sacrifices his money. To love people well, it, it will cost you money, will it not? Look, look at this. It says, he, he says to the innkeeper, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you, and I will come back. So he gives two denarii. That, a denarii was one day's worth of wages, so that's a lot of money. He gives, so he gives two days' worth of wages. One commentary I read said that most likely this... Um, a hotel stay or a stay at the inn was about one-twelfth of a day's wages. So he, he literally just paid for 24 days worth of care for this man. And then he opens himself up to extortion. Do you see that? He says, hey, l listen, whatever more, like if he needs to stay for five more days, ten more days, listen, I'll, I'll come back and I'll pay you. So he opens himself up to extortion. This is the length and the breadth of this man's love. He's willing to spend money. Guys, this is why we are okay with taking a special offering for the sake of loving those in Sierra Leone, Africa, in loving Vision House, in loving all of Crest, these ministries we've partnered with. Because one of the ways that we can love others is by taking the financial blessings God has given us and to share them with those in need. You want to know what it looks like to love others? It looks like it might cost us financially. And for some of us, that looks different than others. And so Jesus, I love this. He ends by just saying, go and do likewise. Go and love like this. Go in love in such a way that you show compassion. Go in love in such a way that it costs you your comfort. It costs you your time. It costs you your money. There is a sense in which Jesus just literally drew up a picture that is almost impossible. <laughs> certainly this man had not loved like this. This lawyer had not loved like this. He certainly had not loved Samaritans like this. And, and you are left with a sense of like, wow, Jesus just painted a picture that almost seems unattainable and just told us to go and do it. How do we even do this? How do we love so extravagantly? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to love like Jesus just told us to love on an everyday basis. Now, you could probably go do it for a week on a mission trip, but to do this every single day of your life, this is hard. How do you and I love like the picture Jesus just painted? Here's how. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus in the way that he has loved us. To love like this is to look at the way that Jesus has loved us and to be then compelled by that. Let me just end by just 
reading a few verses that I hope will resonate. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. This is literally saying we are able to love only because he has first loved us. And then this is the picture of his love for us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. When Jesus says back in Luke 10, go and do likewise, he's not saying, just go and try harder. Just go and work as hard as you can and try your best to love other people. He's not saying that at all. He's exposing that the fact that you and I are unable to love the way the good Samaritan did and that we need supernatural ability to do so. And we need a power that is beyond us. And here's the power that we've been given. We have been given the power of Christ's love for us to go in love others. That is the power of Jesus' love. It, 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 it really is. And that's, that's what is meant by back here at this verse. We are able to supernaturally love other people when we are filled with the love that Christ has for us. You want to love like this Samaritan love? Here's how you do it. You look to Jesus. You let his love be poured into your life. You let it saturate your bones. You let it fill your heart with joy and wonder and then go in love accordingly. And so I end with really two questions that I hope you will consider and take this message for further. How has Christ loved you? How has he loved you? Let that just pour into your bones. Maybe even make a list. And then lastly, what is one practical way that you can love someone like Christ loves you? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have shown the extent of your love by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to give us eternal life, to take away the wrath that we deserve and give us newness in you. Thank you that in Jesus we are made new. Thank you that in Jesus and his love and by your power, Holy Spirit, we are able to love others. Would you help us to love others in such a way that it would blow away the world? Help us to love like you love Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.